Ready to start your ESG journey? Get going today with Social Suite, and you could start reporting publicly in 30 days. With investor pressure mounting and regulations just around the corner, there's never been a better time to start your ESG reporting. Social Suite takes the complexity out of environmental, social, and governance reporting. Social Suite helps organizations to measure, monitor, and report on their progress with fast, simple, and affordable software. Create value through ESG in order to raise capital, improve brand and reputation, as well as mitigate risk. Social Suite has helped almost 100 micro to small cap companies report on ESG, with some starting their baseline report in under 60 minutes and reporting publicly within 30 days. ESG is a lot easier than you think, and you're probably already doing it. So take your sustainability reporting to the next level with measurable progress. Start your ESG journey today with Social Suite, an ESG software company for micro to small caps. Visit socialsuitehq.com. That's social, S-U-I-T-E-H-Q.com to learn more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Aurora Davidson, president and CEO of Amerigo Resources. It's a publicly traded company. The symbols are ARG on the TSX and ARREF on the OTCQX. Amerigo is an innovative copper producer with a long-term relationship with Corporación Nacional del Cobre de Chile, Cadelco, the world's largest copper producer. Amerigo produces copper concentrate and molybdenum concentrate as a byproduct at the MVC operation in Chile by processing fresh and historic tailings from Cadelco's El Teniente mine, the world's largest underground copper mine. Despite the copper price being down from its all-time high in late February 2022, copper has been back to 2011 levels and consistently been above $4 since 2021. In a Reuters column published on January 17, 2023, titled, and I quote here, funds jump back into copper, betting on Chinese recovery, end quote. Writer Andy Holm states, and I quote here, investors played copper from the short side for much of last year, last year being 2022, if they were prepared to engage at all. Rolling lockdowns in China, an energy crisis in Europe, and aggressive rate hikes in the United States were all good reasons to give Dr. Copper a wide berth. The fund's sudden return is a sign that many are betting on a much sunnier outlook, end quote. Amerigo also just announced on January 17, 2023, their 2022 production results that came in above guidance as well as provided their guidance for 2023. With all the news around copper right now, I invited on Aurora Davidson to discuss that and Amerigo's business model and how they're a copper producer without owning an actual copper mine, working exclusively with Cadelco and what that means for their business and future growth potential, geopolitical risks working in Chile, and her vision for the company in three to five years. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Aurora Davidson, President and CEO of Amerigo Resources. Aurora, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? 
I'm doing great. Thank you for having me here, Robert. It's great to have you on. So as we do on, on this stream, you know, my, the first question I'd love to ask all management teams here is, can you start us off with a description of the company in one sentence? Sure. Amerigo is a copper producer that doesn't have a copper mine. Amerigo doesn't need any uh, growth capital, and so it returns surplus cash to its shareholders. So I cheated. It's a long sentence or two small sentences. Um, let's get a little history of the company. You know, when was the company founded? And then what was the original thesis for its founding? Sure. Well, um, America was formed in 2003, and it was formed exclusively to acquire an asset in Chile, a company in Chile called MVC. Now, MVC had been at that point in time doing what we do, producing copper without a copper mine for 11 years. So MVC was formed in 1992 and has been operating continuously through all the copper price cycles you can imagine uh, without any interruptions to its operations. So MVC, uh, America was formed to buy this company, to grow it, uh, to increase its production uh, to the levels that we currently have. And with the idea of essentially um, having um, a utility type business that produces copper on the back of, 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 of waste materials from the world's largest underground copper mine, which is Codelco's El Teniente mine. And that's where we get our material from. So we can start um, as we go through the chat, it'll become more clear to your uh, to your audience how that is all done. But that was the thesis, buy this extraordinary asset, uh, grow it, uh, nourish it, and put it in the situation where we're now, where we can essentially, um, uh, you know, uh, operate a company on the back of rising copper prices and be in a position of returning uh, a capital to the company's investors. So the asset that the company really bought, it, again, it wasn't a mine, it was the mill, right? Is that-, that Well, actually, uh, I, I would say there, there were two things. There were two components. Okay. One was a contract that gives us the rights or the access to those, uh, to those waste streams, which are called tailings. Uh, that's the mining term, our tailings. And it also had a plant, a concentrator plant, which basically um, you know, produces copper concentrates in the same way and fashion as any other copper concentrate in the world, with the caveat that we're not doing all the work that takes place prior to getting that material into the concentrator. And another distinction is that we work with very low grades, because as you can imagine, the waste materials that comes out of a mine is basically what they don't want to mine anymore, what, what, what is left out of their process and that's where we kick in. That's where we start working with. So part of the magic of Amerigo is producing a, a totally sellable copper concentrate with very low grade material. Absolutely. So, you know, what, and, and give us a little bit about your background. You know, were you one of the founding members of the company or did you come in a little bit later? I came in six months later, so <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I joined the company in December of 2003. The company had been formed in the summer of 2003, and I joined as their CFO. So I basically was a company CFO uh, for 17 years until I was promoted to CEO three years ago. Nice. So what would you say your initial thoughts were about the business that ended up being totally false or in, in both a good way or, I mean, I don't know, in a bad way too? 
The first question I ask is a question that any uh, person this day continues to ask of me when I first tell them about Amerigo and is, why doesn't why doesn't uh, the mind do it themselves? Why do they need you there? Why are you even uh, in existence, uh, given that you're working with someone else's waste material? And the answer continues to be also the same, which talks about the consistency of the business. Uh, El Teniente is one of the biggest uh, uh, operations in the world. Uh, and for them, volume is what's important. Um, you know, they cannot recover everything that goes through the mill. No, no, no mine in the world can. And, um, but, but it's such a huge mine that the waste material itself becomes, uh, someone else's, uh, someone else's big asset. And in that case, it's ours, right? So it makes perfect sense for us to have that ability of tapping into that material without, uh, you know, incurring all of the high, costs that you would need to incur in a traditional mining operation. And it also makes sense for El Teniente to give us access to those materials because one, it's a, a very small uh, fish to fry for them, but we give them three benefits. We give them the benefit of uh, additional production because our production counts as their production and their production uh, operation. Uh, we give them a royalty. We pay for having the rights to the contractual, uh, uh, the contractual rights to the tailings through a royalty that is tied up to how much we produce and to copper price. And we're also repositioning some of their historical tailings from an existing deposit into their newer deposit. So it's a winning proposition for both. And uh, as in any successful uh, relationship, and I don't know if you're married or not, but in any successful marriage, both people have to win. <laughs> and that's what ha that's what has happened here. And that's why we have a 30-year long relationship with them. And we have many more years to go on that. Really? I've, I think of my marriage as, you know, like a baseball player. Like if I can hit above 300, then hey, that's a good that's a good year. But um, that's a bad joke. But, uh, you know, this is actually a question I was going to ask you a little bit later, but I figured I'd talk about it now when when talking about, you know, the contract that you have um, with uh, with Cadelco, right? That's the name of the company? Yeah, Cadelco is, and just as a little bit of background there, Cadelco sure. is the world's largest, biggest copper producer. Like there is no bigger name in copper than Cadelco. They, uh, they, they have the most reserves, the most production. They're a Chilean, a state-owned company. Um, uh, El Teniente is one of their operations. They have seven operations. El Teniente is the biggest one of them. Mm -hmm. And Delco, uh, produces about 8% of global copper. So it's not a, it's not a small player. It's, it's the biggest name, uh, in, in our industry. So I'm sure you get this question all the time, but why haven't they just bought you? Why, why you know, why, why have the kind, why not just bring it in house? Because we're, we're a very efficient operation. We are a very efficient operation. We're very focused. Uh, as I say, it, 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 for them, it's a diversion, right? If you have, I see, I see. Uh, so, so they, they wouldn't be as efficient as we are doing it for us. Uh, it's, it's, it's what we are. It's, it's who we are now. So, uh, so, it, you know, it's economies of scale and everybody, everybody has a place in the world. Got it. So in doing my research and getting ready for our interview today, you know, uh, you know, talking with, with Graham and, and, and whatnot. So from my understanding, Amerigo receives a hundred percent of its feed to produce copper from Cadelco um, through fresh and historical tailing. So 
from my understanding, the company has this agreement in place until 2037. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? And also, you know, that's a big risk, right? hundred percent of your fee is just, it's all from Cadelco. So tell us how the company thinks about this, this risk, if you consider it a risk even. We don't consider it a risk. We actually consider it uh, one of the risk mitigators of the company, right? Because mm-hmm. as I said before, uh, we're not um, uh, looking at this as a as a transition uh, as a business that is in transition. This is a solid business. We've been working with them for thirty years. Uh, El Teniente has a huge life of mine ahead of them, um, and we have two sources of feed. One of them is the original the original um, uh, source of feed that that has always been in place since MVC was formed. And that is the daily production that comes out of the Elton Ante mine. So they produce uh, a significant amount of copper. They send their tailings out through a tailings channel. We get those tailings and that is, you know, continuous. It's just the river of tailings containing copper that comes into our plant. That was the original stream. Uh, as we grew the company, we added having the contractual rights to historical tailing streams. Uh, we have the rights to two uh, tailing streams. We're working with one of them now uh, called Calquenes. And essentially what happens with Calquenes is that uh, El Teniente deposited those uh, tailings in that location called Calquenes, adjacent to our plant um, 70, 75 years ago, uh, through, a, through a number of decades actually, and those are higher grade tailings because, as you can imagine, uh, all, all operations become more efficient through time. And uh, obviously, mines uh, included, they weren't as efficient as they are now. So that ended up with a higher grade residual material to which we have access. Uh, how we see the business is we obviously want to process all of the fresh tailings first, even if they're lower grade. Why? Because that's a constant, uh, it's a constant flow of material. If we don't process it, it just goes downstream. We lose the ability of tapping into that copper. So it makes perfect sense for us to receive all the fresh tailings, have our plant um, uh, set up in such a way that we can process all of the fresh, and then we process the historical tailings uh, as we need in order to continue meeting our production guidelines, but without depleting that. So think about it, the, the historical tailings are like uh, your pantry. You have your your pantry of tailings, but you're not going to be using your reserves until you first utilize your constant material uh, 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 first. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. No, I, I, I totally get it. And, and in, you know, especially when you think about, you know, not just for copper, but, you know, when you're talking about gold production. So, you know, there, what folks may not totally realize is that there is that waste. There are those tailings, you know, there's the other, other stuff uh, that is there once you get the the raw material that you're looking to actually get out of there and something mm-hmm. needs to be done with it. So I, I, I get, I, I, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you know, that is really the main thesis, you know, going back to the original question of like, look, something needs to be done with this. And especially when you're thinking about a lot of copper or well, not just copper mines, but also gold mines, you know, there is a lot of those copper tailings there as well. That's unrealized material. Absolutely. Every every mine produces tailings. You cannot avoid it, right? It's 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 the waste process coming out of of your of your uh, metallurgical process. 
Uh, now, does everybody utilize them? Not. Uh, no, that's not the case. In fact, I would say that Amerigo is the only company that is producing the amount of copper that we produce. I mean, we're the same size as a medium-sized copper mine. Uh, we, we had our news release go out. Today, we produced 64 million pounds of copper in 2022. So th that's not uh, incidental. That's a significant amount of, 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 of copper. Um, and... Um, so, so yeah, uh, it, 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 the, 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 what's interesting about our story is the fact that uh, from, 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 from a material that's, that has already been mined, that would otherwise just be sitting there, we're still able to recover that, uh, that economic value. So let's talk about growth a little bit. You know, um, you know some, some folks might think like, wow, okay, you've, you, your process is, is, is efficient, you know, you're, you're able to do all this, you know, but you are still just working with, you know, Cadelco. And I'm sure you get that asked all the time. It's like, well, is there an opportunity to work with some other copper producers and, and working with their, with their waste or, or tailing? So love to hear your thoughts about growth for the business. Sure. Uh, and I would say uh, there, there I'll, I'll answer your question, but I'll give you uh, two other answers, two other alternative answers that tie into that sure. question that you just posed. One of them is uh, when we're looking at the level of production that we're having, this was an aspiration a few years ago. This was where we wanted to be. So um, producing 64 million pounds of copper on a consistent basis, um, mostly from fresh tailings, is something that was always on the books as something that where we wanted to be at at some point in time when we were when we when, when we could and, and we we're there now so uh we're reaping the benefits of of a growth plan that started many years ago to get us to where we are at that's one thing the other thing is that when you look at our revenue uh there are two drivers for our revenue one of them is of course how much copper you produce the other one is what is the copper price and if you multiply those two, you have a revenue. So the stronger the copper price, the stronger the growth in our revenue. So if you are a believer or a follower of stronger copper prices, then you can see how that factors in to revenue growth for America without producing a single more pound of copper. Got That's it. just one way of saying it. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, going back into your original question, this, of course, can be replicated elsewhere. We have no proprietary technology. It's metallurgical discipline. As I said before, we work with very low grades. Not everybody wants to do that, but we're good at it, as proven by 30 years of continuous uh, production experience doing that. So there are three interesting factors that we would... Uh, that we consider are primordial to the success of a tailings business like ours. One of them is how much tailings do you have? As I mentioned, in this case, we've been working continuously for 30 years. We have many more years of material ahead of us. We have historical tailings, uh, but we're working with one of the world's largest copper mines that has been in operation for more than 100 years. So it already had its backlog of historical tailings available. Uh, that's one thing. So you know, if we were to look for other business opportunities, they would have to be uh, associated with a high, huge volume of tailings. 
The other one is the business model. In our case, we're not getting paid a fee for processing uh, uh, the copper and producing the copper. We, are, we have full exposure to the copper price, right? So that's that's key because that's how you recover the significant investments that we've had to make in order to be where we're at. And the other one is location. Uh, and uh, in our case, NBC has a terrific location, which is midway between the mine, uh, then there's NBC, and then uh, further down the mountain range in Chile, uh, there is the tailing deposit where we send all of our tailings to. So we get all of the tailings essentially at no cost by gravity, and we send them out at no cost. That's a significant uh, component of our, that's that's significant cost that we don't have to incur. So if, if, if we were to find a, a similar story like ours where similar elements of success uh, would, uh, would, would be present, yeah, we would, we would probably pursue that opportunity. Uh, are there a lot of them uh, that, that have the same confluence of elements? No, there are not. Right, because it seems like with your the way that you run your operations, I mean, this this could easily be replicated. Because especially when you look at the price of some other commodities and the tailings that those produce, you know, bringing in Amerigo or Amerigo like company um, mm-hmm. and that tech, you know, it's almost a de-risking of that project a little bit because now you know, like, okay, even if it's a low grade gold opportunity, for instance, whatever those tailings then produce, you can, you know, now turn, you know, make a little Correct. money on, on some of that waste. Correct. And and when we, uh, you know, when we first uh, started or when MEC was formed, when America was formed 20 years ago, uh, the price incentive was just not there. This was a huge risk, right? Uh, as we move into higher copper prices, uh, there's obviously more incentive to, um, you know, look for copper under your, under your, under your shoe. Uh, for to sure. say, to say, just to give a silly, a silly example there. So, yeah, I think that, uh, recovering copper from tailings and recovering other metals that are critical to, um, to the energy transition from tailings is going to be, um, um, sort of a, a next, um, one of the next stages of, of evolution of the market. Absolutely. How do you think about copper pricing? I mean, obviously, you know, you've been in business for, for for a while now, you know, you've been, the company's consistently been producing copper for 20 plus years. You know, mm-hmm. how do you think about that, that exposure to the copper price? And also some of the recent, if I'm not mistaken, I don't follow as closely as maybe some other folks uh, in the junior mining space, of course, but how do you also then think about that with, I think the recent rise in copper price as well? Sure. Uh, we're, we're, if, if you, uh, if you listen to our presentations, to our earnings calls, we're very bullish in copper. And there are two reasons for it. Uh, one of them is supply. Supply is being challenged. Why? Because most of the copper mines, uh, have gone through their, through their better years, uh, through their higher grade areas. Uh, it's getting more difficult to obtain the same levels of, uh, of productivity of output as they had before. It's costing more to do it. Uh, uh, for a number of reasons, one of them being, for example, in Chile, water. Water is a scarce resource, um, uh, and, and companies use water. Uh, there's, uh, an, an education associated with the industry where, 
uh, it may be seen as uh, an industry that's depleting the world of natural resources or uh, creating um, uh, a barren environment behind them. That, that, that's not true. That, that probably was the case decades ago. Uh, there are many examples of sustainable mining. Uh, miners uh, are, take their responsibility seriously. But in, in any event, it's harder and harder to produce, uh, to produce, in our case, copper. Um, so the supply issue is challenged, and as uh, producers start reporting their uh, production results um, for 2022, you'll see that most of them are coming in with the numbers, production numbers below guidance. Not us, we actually beat our guidance, but that's uh, an anomaly. So when, when you're looking at at, at any commodity where supply is going to be challenged, there's there, there's there's a support for price. Now, in terms of demand, uh, demand for copper has grown consistently, one to two percent every year, uh, year after year, right? And it continues to grow because the world continues to to need copper, and that's just traditional demand. When you look at the additional demand associated with the energy transition, depending on who you want to read. Uh, you know, four to five percent additional demand is not unheard of in, in those projections. So you're looking at a, a, a substantial increase in demand. You're looking at constraints in supplies. Uh, you're looking at low inventory levels and you're looking at a substantial amount of lead time required to put any uh, project into production. And Aurora, another question that I have for you is looking at the competitive landscape. You know, are there other companies that are doing similar things to Amerigo out there? And lo love to get a little bit more perspective on that. Yeah, uh, we have no competitors that are doing exactly what we're doing um, in Chile or elsewhere. Um, as I mentioned, uh, there is no other company that's producing the amount of copper that we produce only from processing tailings. Uh, of course, the interest is in trying to recover copper from um, uh, materials that were not traditionally um, of interest to miners. Uh, there are companies trying to uh, recover copper from uh, what's called the overburden, but that's not what we do. We basically are ex exclusively working with uh, with the actual tailings materials from 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 the mine. Absolutely. So this is a question I love to ask every um, all all CEOs on here. What what do investors get most confused about when, when you know, maybe it's a one-on-one -on -one that you're having with them or they're seeing that presentation? Well, even after maybe reviewing their present your presentation, mm -hmm. what do they what do they still get confused about that maybe we can address here about America? Um that's 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 a good question. Uh I think that we have tried to simplify as much as we can uh how simple the story of Amerigo is and 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 to portray that even in terms of graphics. So it's it's a simple business story with a very simple and predictable business model and cash flow project uh forecasting uh, story associated with it. Um so people are getting less confused now than before. I think that we used to present um, information uh, in a more mining way, in a more technical way. Uh, even the use of tailings instead of waste materials was confusing for people that were not in the industry or familiar with uh, with mining operations. So we have tried to move away from that and just speak in layman terms. Um, on our deck, we, we have a an analogy uh, to a wastewater treatment plant, because I guess all of us can understand how a wastewater treatment plant works. 
And as soon as we put that analogy out, everybody understood better what we're doing, right? So there's there's a waste stream and there's someone getting economic benefit out of that waste stream. Uh, how do you do that? By basically producing more copper and being able to sell it uh, at market uh, prices. So I, I don't think it gets any simpler than that. And people are getting that. Absolutely. So another question that I ask all CEOs on here, um, and and we we're start, we talked about a little bit already in terms of you know risks and whatnot. But in your opinion, what would you say are the company's downside risks? Um, you alluded to one of the ones that people seem to be concerned about, which is uh, having um, uh, being tied to the hip to Teniente, to El Teniente, and not having another another source of feed other than that. I, I, I mentioned, I don't see that as, as, a, as a risk itself. Um, from an operational perspective, there's nothing uh, high techy or nothing out of the ordinary that we're doing that presents uh, uh, a significant amount of risk. Um, but for example, I'll give you one uh, that, uh, that that was not on the books uh, 20 years ago. It, it's, it's water. We ran into issues of having uh, very little water available for our operations uh, three years ago, and we had actually to curtail uh, processing of our old tailings because they require more water than the processing of the fresh tailings. Uh, and it was a confluence of events. Uh, Chile was going through a drought and continues to be in a drought. Uh, we had water recovery systems within our plant, but they weren't as efficient as, as they are now. And we didn't have any water stored, uh, for, uh, for a non-rainy day. So what we did there was basically address this as a, as, as a risk that's going to be with us for the rest of our, of our operational life. We cannot bank on, 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 on rain patterns becoming, uh, as, um, uh, you know, returning to what they were 20 years ago. So, okay, let's assume that drought con uh, conditions continue. What do we need to do? Well, we need to recover more water in our operation and we're doing that. So. Um, we invested money three years ago into refurbishing re, uh, our water thickeners. Uh, that gave us a significant boost in water recovery. And whenever we were in a position of storing surplus water, we stored it. So right now we're keeping about five and a half million cubic meters of water stored in our facility that allows us to go through uh, any any water uh, uh, shortage periods. Uh, actually, we have maintained essentially our water reserves without having to use them for a number of uh, quarters now. So, you know, that is a, a risk result. So I guess in general terms, uh, uh, the risks are those acts of God, right? Drought conditions, fires, earthquakes. But to the extent that we can mitigate those, we are doing all we can to mitigate anything that is uh, subject to mitigation through through a management intervention. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing all that. We we appreciate that. So what one other that I'm sure you get asked all the time, and I ask this to every almost every junior mining company. Um uh not that you guys are really junior anymore. I think you know we're recording this on uh January 17th. You guys are trading about 250 million. I'd argue probably not a junior mining mining company anymore. Um, but in terms of geopolitical risk, right? Working in Chile. So love, love to give a little overview on what it's like to operate in Chile and how the geopolitical conditions are right now. 
Sure. Um, prior to uh, October of 2019, anybody in the world will tell you that operating in Chile is essentially the same as operating in Canada. Uh, Chile had been enjoying a significant amount, a significant number of years of uh, economic growth, political stability, uh, social um, uh, uh, non uh, social non-unrest, I guess. Social like. non-unrest, uh, <laughs> a, a social uh, enjoyment, um, etc. Um, and and then what what occurred was that uh, there were a series of uh, uh, student uh, protests associated with uh, um, public transportation, etc. That and and that um, created that had a, a big snowball effect in terms of opening up a series of uh, concerns that the citizenry of Chile had had for a number of years. Uh, they were associated with uh, social aspects uh, of equality, for example, uh, access to public health, access to education, uh, the status of the pension system, etc. And in response to those uh, protests, uh, there was um, a, a very swift response by the government to open up a referendum with uh, with the citizens of Chile as to whether they felt they needed a new constitution. And the quick answer back in the day was, yes, we, we want to have a new constitution that better addresses where we should be headed uh, in, in the future. And so uh, a process uh, unfolded for the next uh, two and a half years that ended up with, uh, with a referendum in 2022, where a new constitution was presented and it was basically rejected. Why was it rejected? Because it was too progressive. So Chile went from, uh, we like where we are, we like the status quo to maybe we want something more progressive. And when they got it, they said, actually, we really liked where we were and we want some changes, but we want them orderly. We want them contained. We don't want to uh, move away from this uh, from this central line of that has allowed us to have sustainable economic growth uh, too fast, and so we're back into that uh, sort of a middle of the road alignment uh, after a period of two and a half years, three years of questioning whether things would be probably changing uh, and moving a little bit more left than they had been before. So we're back to where we were before, but I think it's still going to take a few more. Uh, maybe another year or so to 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 readjust to this new scenario. So all of that to say that there were uh, some elements of political uh, uh, risk associated with Chile, but they were superbly handled by the government, by the society, by uh, uh, the, the people of Chile participating and ultimately deciding that. Um, you know, we've, we've had a second thought about this and we actually like where, where, how things have worked for us and we want to continue moving along those lines. Very good. All right. So we're, we're, we're rounding the bend here for, for our, our chat here today. So another question I, I, I'd like to ask you here, and I, again, I asked this to, to everyone on here, you know, in your opinion, where, where do you see the, and also from what you can tell us. You know, where do you see the company in three to five years? And what would you say are some of the inflection points that will get you there? Mm -hmm. um, we initiated a return of capital uh, program, a return of capital policy two years ago on the back of uh, having 
achieved a level of operational consistent results that allowed us to very accurately predict how much copper we're going to be producing on a, on a, on a, on a given, on a given quarter, year, et cetera. Once we had that, and that is something that we had been working on for, for, for a long time. Uh, so, so that was our prime objective. Once we got that, uh, when copper prices started to recover and when copper prices started to strengthen beyond the prior highs that had been established uh, years ago, uh, we immediately started returning capital to shareholders. Uh, we have three mechanisms of doing that. One of them are our regular dividends. Then we have share buybacks and we have reduced our shares outstanding by almost 10% in the last uh, uh, year and four months. And then we want to deploy what we call a performance dividend. And that performance dividend is tied up to the performance of copper price. Uh, so I really want uh, uh, to see the market conditions uh, where we can continually work on those three tiers of, of return of capital. The regular uh, uh, quarterly dividend that everybody can count on, uh, reducing share buybacks opportunistically depending on market conditions. And then, uh, as cash reserves start to build up, uh, on the back of strong copper prices, return that capital to shareholders. Um, that ties into the, to the growth factor that I spoke about before, which is in our case, uh, tied up to the growth of, uh, of copper price. Very good. All right. Well, to close us out here today, you know, uh, you you mentioned that, I mean, you've been with the company basically six months after, since six months after its founding. So, um, as a CFO for seventeen years and now as as CEO, how has your experience been being public company CEO? It's not an easy job, so I'm just curious to how that experience has been for you, and maybe how you'd like to see it evolve or change. Well, it, it, it was it was a big change. It was a big change, uh, changing from just the numbers aspect of things uh, to the whole strategy. Uh, um, it it, it uh, changed the relationship that I had with my peers as well, um, and we started working together in different ways. Uh, we were facing a significant amount of challenges uh, all at the same time. COVID started. We had drought conditions. We had um, an operation that was not as stable as it is now. So we just went back to the drawing board and have, um, and have come out of that, uh, better. Uh, it's, it's, it's a teamwork. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, attributable to one single person, but coordinating and motivating and being consistent on your daily deliverables, uh, uh, I think is part of the, of what has worked for us. Um, I enjoy being a CEO more than I enjoyed being a CFO. <laughs> um, um, and, and telling our story uh, requires uh, having a story to tell, first of all, and having to perch out what works and what doesn't work. Right. So it's been a it's been a virtuous cycle so far. And um, I really look forward to continuing to do this uh, with America for a number of years. I think that's a great place to end it. So Aurora, with that, where can our audience go and find more information on Amerigo Resources? Uh, we have our website, uh, amerigoresources.com. We try to have all the information that you need there uh, uh, so that you can really understand what our company is. We have a very cool video that shows 
the operation itself. Uh, our presentation is updated every month. And we try also to put in as much information as we can on our production and our financial results releases. So uh, try to make them as standalone, a document as uh, as we can. So if you look, for example, today at our uh, results release, uh, we also have provided all of our guidance for 2023. So it's very easy to model out uh, whatever you want to model out on the assumption of your take on copper prices based on the guidance that we provided. Very good. Well, Aurora, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. I look forward to our next update. Super. I really appreciate it, Robert. Nice to, have, uh, to be here with you. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.